1: I know some of you are interested in what happened in the darkness retreat with Aaron Rodgers and his commode. My grandmother, my maternal grandmother called it a commode. It was never a toilet or a potty. It It was the commode. <laughs> that word when I was a kid made me laugh so hard and she would get so mad at me because I laughed so hard every time she said it. <laughs> it's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. I'm not sure I want to be like every other show and encourage conversations about commodes, but it's not just about the commode. Because uh, not that long ago, I told you about a, a situation I had with a commode in my house and how I had a flood and it was awful. And uh, it, it yeah, but this is different. Rogers takes it to another level and it's TMI. I'm telling you, if I play it for you, you may be mad that I played it for you. And you may dislike him even more. Just tell me this, Producer Jay, why? Why? If you're Aaron Rodgers, just for a second, try to put yourself in that space. I know it's relatively impossible. You have nothing in common. Why would he ever talk about that?
2: I guess it was a question on people's minds. So what? Do you have to answer it? No, you don't. And especially based on the way he answered it, it's... He sounds like he almost couldn't wait to answer it, I would say. like He definitely went out, he thought about the whole time what he was going to say when that question came up. He knew it was going to come up, and I feel like that answer was a little premeditated. He, he really got into it.
1: Well, here's the second question. Why did you give it to me on my cut sheet?
2: I, I had to. I had to. Did you think I was going I to play it? I wasn't sure, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't give it to you. You had a, oh, you okay. it. Oh,
1: okay. I mean, I didn't hear any other cuts about I don't know taking a bath, or what? I didn't hear cuts about eating in the darkness. I didn't hear cuts about how much he slept, or or how much he had to get acclimated to the light again. No, no. You put pooping on my audio cut sheet.
2: I don't know if they got into the other stuff. I think a lot of it was yeah. Questions was asked and.
1: Okay, I would be willing to bet they did talk about the other things in an hour and 41-minute podcast. You just don't feel the need to pass that information along to me.
2: I mean, I don't really... His eyes, how they adjusted, it's... At least this one, like, packed a punch.
1: I'm taking back the birthday gifts I gave you. That, no, that's what's no, happening here. That's... That, that's Ew. I just, This is what happens when I work with men. Ew. Ew. It's TMI. Isn't there such a thing as too much information even if you're male isn't there such a thing as too much information and not wanting to know about him going to the bathroom in the dark
2: yes yes there is I I, I think I don't know that there was a shorter version of the cut I had found first and then I found that extended a little bit longer one so I went with the longer one thank you and at the end of that one maybe is where it gets like way too much it's just like over the top detailed we don't need that but I, I don't know I can't say I at the time wasn't curious, but I didn't really need to hear it. It was more just one of those like, oh, yeah, I wonder that would be weird. But he, he really uh, answered it. Yeah. Okay, come on. I,
1: I feel like every single American at some point, whether your power's out, whether it's because of a storm and you, you don't have power, or whether you are waking up in the middle of the night to to use the bathroom and you don't turn on lights, either A, because it'll blind you, or B, because there's other people around, and you go to the bathroom in the dark. Why is that so fascinating?
2: Well, because you got moon at that point. You got the moonlight. Not necessarily if your
1: bathroom's yeah. internal. Or interior, sorry.
2: I guess if you're in like a basement or something where there's no light getting yeah. through. I have happen- you
1: never in your life, you've never gone camping, you've never, you've never ever gone to the bathroom in the dark?
2: I think it was more just that he had to live in... Like his bathroom was his main room, so if he were to miss or if he were to get it every, you know, it's kind of then you gotta and then what? Okay, so never mind.
1: that just that seals it for me. We're not playing the cut, <laughs> no. This is this Damn. is no, no, absolutely not. I I can't, thank God my vacation starts in a couple hours because I need to get away from this and you, that grin on your face as fast as I possibly can. Ew. Ew! I've been doing radio for 25 years, and I've never once considered sharing that information, ever. And you know me; I'm an open book.
2: I don't. I mean, has it been asked? They asked him. What's he gonna do? I, I don't think he'd say lie. that's
1: too much information. But as you point out, he's very proud of himself. I couldn't
2: wait to say that. His response. In fact,
1: I would be pretty confident that was a predetermined question. That Definitely. Aubrey Marcus had no choice but to ask the question. Exactly,
2: I'm telling you, he was in that darkness retreat, and, met a, and he thought of that answer. Like he knew exactly what he was going to say, just based on that clip.
1: <sighs> it's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Jay set me up; he did it on purpose. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, aLaw Radio, and I suppose you can register your complaint if you believe I'm not doing my job by not letting you hear what Rogers had to say about going to the bathroom in the darkness. It's, I'm just telling you, you can't unhear it. Once you hear it, and ew, no, I, no. The only people I have this conversation with ever are family members, and that's really close family members. Why in the, okay, I know, I'm sorry. I'm gonna just okay. let it, I'm gonna breathe. I'm just gonna breathe now. I'm offended. No, I'm not offended, I just, ew. <laughs> I'd rather talk about pretty much anything else, like, Anything else besides I like
3: to
1: eat. that? Uh huh. I like to eat animals. That's the other part of that cut. Did you cut that off? Because animals, Jay, what are you doing in there? You're trying to screw me up. I know you are. Okay, so on Twitter, a law radio. If you have a complaint for the suggestion box, uh, or if you're with me and you do not need to hear all of this information from Aaron Rodgers. Just can you please just either retire or go back to playing football? Because I can't take all this stuff. And then on our Facebook page, too, After Hours with Amy Lawrence, thank you for your responses uh, uh, to the Darlene Santor interview, Coach Dar, her new book, The Art of Bouncing Back. It's very inspirational. Um, there, we've got links. Up, I've got some links up there on Twitter. I'm glad you enjoyed it. She inspired me. And then there's the opposite end of the spectrum. Okay, let's talk about any other quarterback. Any other quarterback,
2: please. Murray back to throw. And it is. Is it lost? Oh, my goodness. It's a DeAndre Hopkins caught it. Dapper from under center. Steps back. Throws the fade.
0: Cooper cuts. Got it. Touchdown, L.A. Burrow back to throw. Looking. Firing deep Go. for Chase in the end zone. Oh, He's got yeah. it. Mahomes fires for the end
2: zone. Caught! Touchdown, Kansas City! And off to Eckler again. No, Herbert
4: keeps it. End zone. Touchdown,
2: Chargers! Herbert with his second of the day. Here's the snap. Josh going to keep it himself and run
5: it again inside the five. Into the end zone. Touchdown, Buffalo! Josh Allen, nine-yard touchdown run. The Bills respond and then some. It's
2: time for QB News on After Hours.
1: I recognize I'm in the minority. Once again, underscored in the sports radio business, I am usually about an army of one. <laughs> Baltimore Ravens general manager, Eric DaCosta, gets very emotional when he talks about Lamar Jackson. As he talks about the prospect of losing him, or as he talks about the prospect of not coming to an agreement, he, he's really feeling it.
6: I've seen a lot of deals happen. When things look bleak or I haven't seen deals when I would have thought oh it's a slam dunk it takes two people to do it it takes communication it takes respect it takes appreciation for each other and it takes an understanding of the greater you know the greater good and how this thing is going to fit together so I remain positive I have no reason not to remain positive we've spoken recently Um, we've had good good meetings recently Um, and so we'll see what happens
1: He says, I'm not going to give up hope. I refuse to give up hope. So where there's hope, there's always the possibility that a trade, no, sorry, (laughs) that's, whoops, that's a Freudian slip, that a a deal will get done. Although a trade is definitely a possibility if they cannot come to an agreement. And the, the big challenge here is not just about finding common ground where both sides have to compromise, but the the challenge is that if they exclusive tag him, meaning the franchise tag that's the exclusive, they will have to pay him $45 million should they not come to an agreement. Now, it gives it a little, little more time, but if they don't come to an agreement, it's $45 million, which is essentially the rest of what they have available under the salary cap. So you would have a really good quarterback for one year, no long-term deal, but probably no... New wide receiver, no addition to your secondary, at least not not quality. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio, while we're talking QBs in the AFC North. Kenny Pickett will be going into year number two, and optimism is high with GM Omar Khan.
7: I'd say the future's bright. Uh, he's exciting to be around day in and day out. He's a great teammate. He's great in the building. Um, he works extremely, extremely hard. He wants to be great. That's that's um, that that's that's awesome to see. I mean, he Kenny Pickett wants to be great.
1: I believe this was probably a joke, but someone reached out to me as part of asking me anything to say. Will Pittsburgh ever get a good quarterback? So I actually did. I did fall for the trap. I mentioned Ben Roethlisberger in his 18 years, and then, hey, you already have his replacement or your next franchise QB the very next season. Pittsburgh is well run. It's in good hands, and Kenny Pickett showed a lot of signs. Great promise, as Omar Khan points out on SiriusXM and FL Radio. He
5: didn't urinate down his leg, man. That's a great good place to begin. Good point.
1: See what I mean? And then all the way through the season, he continued to get real-life reps, In the AFC North, the team to beat, though, is the Cincinnati Bengals, and that has a lot to do with their quarterback, Joe Burrow. General Manager Duke Tobin at the Combine, Indianapolis. Is the contract extension done?
8: It's not done yet. You know, uh, it's a good problem to have. You know, I have been pretty vocal about what Joe means to us, and uh, my job is to... uh, facilitate his success as best I can with putting pieces around him and uh his contract will get done when it uh, gets done but it's a good problem to have he's a uh, vital part of what we're doing
1: well and he mentions pieces around Joe Burrow one of those is T Higgins and for some reason a lot of people are talking about how the Bengals could trade him that he may not be in their future plans and Tobin debunks that
8: i'm in the business of making the cincinnati bengals better and so trading t higgins is not on my mind that's their problem they want a receiver go find your own you know (laughs) In, in my my opinion you know t higgins is a good piece for the cincinnati bengals so the trade stuff is a little ridiculous right now
1: please save that as a drop if you want a receiver go find your own i love that he says he's a good piece for the bengals And all of that is a little ridiculous. Now, T is a third-year player going into the final year of his rookie deal. And it's not just Joe Burrow who is up for a contract extension. How about Jamar Chase who came in the year after him along with T Higgins? You're talking about guys that will need to get paid or they will go somewhere else. But as Duke points out, it's a good problem to have. And yeah, it all starts with Joe Burrow and what a difference he's made to the franchise since he showed up on the scene.
8: He walked in like the Bengal superstar, you know, and not a lot of people, uh, you know, have the confidence to do that and and the wherewithal to know how to do it. You know, he uh, he came into our situation and uh, and he wanted to be in charge without uh, being overbearing. And uh you know he he's just got so much confidence in himself in the right way. Uh, it, it it's rare that you can have a guy with with that level of confidence and uh, and no arrogance.
1: Back to back AFC championship games, of course the Super Bowl appearance, and yes they ran into the Chiefs. However, I still say they're on the way up in Cincinnati with the improvements they've made, the offensive line a lot better late in the season, the long winning streak. They, As long as they stay healthy, they are a force to be reckoned with, along with the Chiefs and the Bills and a few other teams there in the AFC. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio, pivoting away from the North. We got a lot of quarterback questions elsewhere in the AFC. How about the Colts and general manager Chris Ballard? He's got a laundry list of what he's looking for in his next signal caller.
6: One that wins. Um... No, I mean, look—you want a, you want a guy that's got a fast mind, who's 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 accurate. Like we get caught up in arm strength, but guys that is accurate, and then who makes plays when the game's on the line. Um, and they, and I know I'm going to get this question, but like I think we're seeing today, they come in all different shapes and sizes. I mean, you look around the league, and and I think you can track this back to seven on seven back in high schools 20-25 years ago when they started that more kids that you know you're getting a lot more athletes playing the position so they're going to come in different shapes different sizes some tall some short some athletes um, the ability to move navigate the pocket Escape from the pocket, create plays with your feet. I mean, all those are things that we're seeing in our league. Not that we haven't seen them before, but I think it's even become more prevalent. So that's all. That's what he's
1: looking for in a quarterback one who wins. Uh, Certainly the Colts have been stuck in what's a spiral around their quarterback decisions. There's a lot of talk. That they could move up or attempt to move up to that number one spot to draft bryce young Uh, but that pick belongs to the bears and the bears know they could get a bidding war out of this the a few teams that desperately want to move up the houston texans are another one in that same division right the afc south and then in the south you've got the tennessee titans certainly seemed like a year ago at this time even before they drafted malik willis but Ryan Tannehill's days were numbered in Tennessee, and according to their GM, Rand Carthon, that's not the case.
5: Ryan's done a great job. Uh, Ryan's won a lot of football games, as you guys know. So he's under contract. I'm excited about moving forward with him. And, you know, I know everybody wants to make a big deal, you know, out of the quarterback position and whether he will or won't be here. But you guys just have to accept the fact that Ryan is under contract, you know, for us. And right now he's a Titan, and he will be a Titan.
1: Part of the reason that Carthon is so sure is because Malik Willis didn't look good as a rookie. He struggled as a rookie. And it doesn't mean he won't be a strong quarterback moving forward. It just means he's not ready. So that then precipitates the need for Ryan Tannehill to to be there and to be healthy and to be their starting quarterback. So Carthon, he... He squashes any idea that Tannehill is going to be released or that they're, they're going to uh, have a different quarterback next season. But they do obviously still need to get Malik Willis ready.
5: The one thing that I talked to Malik about um, was just continue to grow as a quarterback. And that's not just throwing the ball. That's not, you know, all these different things. But quarterback is so much more mental than it is physical. Um, and I think, um, you know, from that standpoint, I just, you know, taught him about being able to lead the locker room, being able to have that presence and continuing just to, you know, reach out to some of the greats in our game and guys that are helping. So we've been able to, to connect and he's reached out to, you know, other quarterbacks in the league to kind of serve as mentors for him, which kind of shows, you know, who he is as a person and where he sees himself and where he wants to go.
1: Rand Carthon, the Tennessee Titans general manager, Again, Malik Willis having a better rookie season probably means they part ways with Tannehill because he's got a large cap hit. It's nearly $37 million, and they don't have that much cap space. Remember, they already released a couple of veterans to make room under the cap. But if they don't have another viable option, they're going to have to keep Tannehill and pay the money. One more, and this comes from the AFC East where we haven't seen Tua for months. We've heard from him a little bit. He expressed his appreciation for the Dolphins and the medical staff, the coaches, allowing him the time and the space to heal. But he's also up for a contract extension. Here's head coach Mike McDaniel.
7: You know, like any other player, you factor in every variable. Um, You know, I think, you know, one thing that – you know, when you're, when you're talking about those types of decisions, um, I think it's important to recognize that um, we have a congruence of in- interest by the Concluance. Dolphins and the player, that um, Tua, that um, both parties really want him to um, play at a very high level for a long time for the Miami Dolphins. So um, what's the best way to, to really engineer that or to um, help – Manifest that well um those are the things that were kind of um, weighing in terms of the the various options um with you know the the same um desired end is as um two would like.
1: Mike McDaniel at the Scouting Combine. Uh, he and GM Chris Greer are still deciding whether or not they will pick up the option for Tua's fifth year. This is the fifth year on his rookie deal. They've gotten until May 1st. Yes, durability is a major factor in that. Um, he's got an option for a $23.2 million salary in 2024. But you need him to be on the field. We've seen how well the Dolphins offense can operate if Tua's on the field. And I don't think concussions uh, are necessarily a sign of being injury-prone. In fact, I hate it when people kind of put those things together. But if you have multiple concussions, especially over the course of a season, then you can, according to the science, you can be more prone to them. And they can get progressively worse. So it is a concern, uh, though not necessarily about being injury-prone. All right, that's your AFC version of QB News. So, an Aaron Rodgers free zone for a couple of minutes anyway. Straight ahead, a chance for you to hear part of my conversation with Jason Stark, the great baseball insider and reporter at spring training. Wonderful intel. And I mean, I'll just say it. A lot of fun <laughs> in talking about the rules changes for baseball. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio.
2: You are listening to the After Hours podcast. Three
6: balls, two strikes, two out, three on, 6-6 six, six in the ninth.
0: And he, did he go to his mouth or he Whoa. took to, oh, he didn't get out, he got out of the box. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild
8: Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
6: You have 47 new
2: voicemails.
8: Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
2: Game is over. Oh my
6: goodness. He wasn't ready to hit by the pitch clock and he's called out.
8: Oh my. And
6: we think the game is over. The ninth inning's over anyway and it's tied at six. Wow.
2: This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence.
1: As we head through this first week of spring training in Major League Baseball, you hear that call, which really set off a... Big firestorm from spring. But umpires are very aggressive in enforcing the pitch clock and these new timing rules, though a lot of people still don't exactly understand what's happening. But Cleveland shortstop Jose Tania was called out for not engaging the pitcher until there were fewer than eight seconds left on the clock. Uh, And so you've got a bunch of guys who are trying to figure it out on the fly, and fans who are doing the same. Thus, our conversation with longtime senior writer and insider Jason Stark, now with The Athletic. Many of you have accessed this conversation, if you didn't hear it live, on our last show. It's available on the podcast, but uh, we wanted to bring back a portion of it because it it was entertaining. And he swears to me that
3: this is what baseball wants. Here's the thinking, Amy. If this happens to you once, there's no chance it'll happen to you twice. So does that work for you, that logic?
1: Well, if it happens in that particular situation, yes. But at the same time, and I saw this on your Twitter as well, it's not like he's the only guy who got called for a strike. It just happened to be in an extreme situation like that one.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, in this particular game, there were three violations, uh, and two of them were first pitch of the at-bat, um, hitter didn't get in the box on time. This is a lot like Manny Machado uh, in that Padres game last Friday. Mm-hmm. Hitter didn't get in the box on time, so it's 0-1 before they'd even gotten in the box. And then I noticed that as the game wore on, uh, they learned from that, and hitters were calling time before they ever got set ah. before the first pitch. Because yeah. it's really bizarre when nobody's throwing a pitch, but the count's 0-1. That is weird. Goodness. I mean, think about what happened to end the game a guy recorded a strikeout on a 3 and 2 pitch that he never actually threw
1: for those people who love to score baseball games i don't even know how you score that like
3: we don't know how to score that that has <laughs> never happened and um you know my friend scott fransky who does the phillies games he texted me like a, a little drawing he did of like of a backwards k upside down like taking a nap cuz we've had strikeouts <laughs> looking this was strikeout not looking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not paying any attention, as a matter of fact.
3: <laughs> right. It's something to see. Like, everybody's working their way through it. But the, the good news is the games have really moved along. They're 22 minutes shorter on average wow. than the games last year this time. Last year, the average game in spring training took more than three hours. This year, going into today... We only had six games in the whole sport that took over three hours in spring training now. And they're all wild games with a ton of runs. And the longest of those games was three hours, six minutes. So this is going to have an impact on the rhythm of games, the time of games, and when the games are over. And all the time that's coming out of these games is dead time. When we get to the other side of this, I'm going to find it really hard to look at it and think, anything about this is negative unless you're just one of those people who thinks nothing in baseball should ever change. There's
1: lots of rule changes actually. Is this the most drastic or are we in store for some other drama as some of these other rules changes play
3: out? Well, the pitch clock I think is requiring the most immediate adjustment, but uh, you know, along with the pitch clock comes some rules that are going to have a, a, a big impact on base running, uh, base stealing in the game, the fact that there's a two-pickoff limit is a gigantic difference. Hmm. Um, and I've you know, i I've already seen this with my own eyes. There was a game the other day where uh, Richard Blyer, I called the three box in one inning, boxed <laughs> Jeff McNeil around the bases. So uh, there's a runner on first, and he made a pickoff move to first base. It's the first one I've seen all spring. And what happened next pitch? Runner took off. And I was talking to him about it afterwards, and you know, like well, everybody thought that when there are two pickoffs, and the uh, and the pitcher does can't throw to first anymore unless he gets the guy out, um, that that's when runners would be more aggressive. But that's not how the Braves played it in this game. When they thought they had an opportunity to run, they just took off. They didn't look back. They didn't dance. And I think you're going to see a lot of that. I don't think that you're going to see anybody steal 100 bases like Ricky Henderson. But I think you're going to see a ton of guys steal 20 and 30 and 40. And that's, you know, we had one player in the whole sport steal 40 bases last year. and it's John Birdie. That's a good trivia question next time you're at the (laughs) tavern. Uh, This year, I, I mean, there's no way 40 leads the league. 50, 60, maybe 70 will lead the league. And, look, you have a lot of great athletes in the game. This is a combination of rules that is going to encourage great athletes to do their great athlete thing. And again, I'm all for that.
1: So Jason, you're there, you're you're talking to managers and players. Are they in the same mindset as you where they think this will make the game more entertaining, where they eventually will enjoy the changes?
3: You know, everybody's trying to figure out <laughs> what they need to do to get through this. Um, one of the big topics with the Stolen base stuff, that we're just talking about is, okay, it's going to promote the running game. If you're on defense, how do you control the running game? And I've seen more teams working on pitch outs this spring than I have in a long time. Uh, Brian Snicker from the Braves was telling me he only called six pitch outs all last year. And a bunch of their minor league affiliates didn't call any to the point where they had some catchers in camp who had never called Caught or thrown a pickoff before in their life. Um, that's how much the game has changed and now it has to adjust back. Uh, you're seeing a lot of, because the pitcher can't throw over to first more than twice, I'm seeing catchers um, after the pitch throwing behind the runner, throwing over to first. Um, you saw Max Scherzer yesterday, nobody on base. Um, you know, he, he was just ripping through the inning at, at uh, Usain Bolt pace. <laughs> and then as soon as somebody got on base, you saw him get into the set as soon as he could and then hold the ball until there was a fraction of a second left on the clock to mess with the hitter and the runner. So it's, it's, a, it's such a cool new world mm. in this sport to see guys like Max Scherzer trying to lean into these rules and how, can, how they can make these rules work for them. And managers are are trying to figure it out. Front offices are are brainstorming how they're going to do the stuff that they do. Not everybody wants to reveal their hands in spring training. So this is going to be um, stuff that's going to create intrigue right into the season as we see how teams are going to play this. And at least there's a whole new level of strategy for all of these rules. Hey, maybe we haven't even talked about the shift yet.
1: Oh, we did talk about the shift, though. That was actually my favorite part. Jason read my mind as we were going through uh, some of the various rules and the way the pitch clock is being digested in spring training. That's his number one job is to calculate, to write about, to uh, to figure out how this is going to impact the game moving forward. But if you missed that conversation uh, with Jay, then definitely check it out because – We talk shift, and then we talk about the Padres going for broke, um, and and maybe that will be literally. No, no. And then also Shohei Otani, yet another year of Shohei Otani, will he or won't he? So it's on our podcast, but I shared the link. In fact, Jason retweeted the link, which was awesome. Whether you're a diehard or a critic, you definitely want to hear that whole conversation with Jason going back to that (laughs) wacky Braves Red Sox ending that started – this firestorm uh, last Saturday. So on Twitter, a law radio on our Facebook page after hours with Amy Lawrence. Don't have to look far. The link is to the top, to the top of those social media sites and our individual pages. Glad to have you with us coming up next. The Alabama men's basketball team battles into overtime Less about Brandon Miller right now um, than it was last week, though Nate Oates, the head coach, is still talking about a situation um, in a pregame ceremony that offended people, definitely was a cause for raised eyebrows. And if you're talking about coaches, well, Bruce Pearl, you know, sometimes he loses his mind. So there's
2: that. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast.
0: Green in the lane. Stopping, shooting, missing. Rebound tipped out. Scramble. Quinterly's got it. Quinterly weaving through traffic. Looks left side. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Wonderful start for Alabama. Miller looking left side on the drive. Stops cleaner. No. Rebounded his own miss. Put back. Yes. What effort from Brandon Miller. Stayed with it after the miss. Put it back in. And Emma leads again by five with 333 to go.
2: This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence.
1: Congratulations to Nate Oates and the Alabama Crimson Tide for their regular season championship in the SEC. And it comes with a flair for the dramatic in T Town in Tuscaloosa, a 90 to 85 overtime victory against arch rival Auburn. This is the Iron Bowl in basketball form, and it was a, a great game, a great finish, really. The Tide found another gear because they were trailing at home by 17 points with about 10 minutes to play in this one. Uh, and so that this is history for Bama, the largest comeback uh, going back uh, I think what I read was uh, the 10-11 the season, so going back 13 years at least, 12 years at least, uh, and their first overtime win against rival Auburn since the 80s. So you had three different Auburn starters foul out, which obviously helps uh, to springboard the comeback, to spark that comeback uh, you also had a couple of Alabama players that were ejected for leaving the bench. So this one got chippy and lippy. I mean that that's to be expected during a rivalry game, especially between these two schools. Um, and ultimately, Bama was able to survive in OT. Uh, Bruce Pearl being interviewed. Minutes after the game, uh, he's still very emotional. Uh, as you hear, the, well, you know that the tempers are running high, but as you hear him, uh, it, it, it's actually fairly shocking because he seems calm, he seems calm, and then boom!
4: You know, obviously they made some, made some plays. We had a hard time staying in front of them at the end of the day. Um, I'm just sick and tired of our guys getting smashed down there! Smashed. We we're incredibly outmanned at the end. At three, four guys on a
1: bench in foul trouble. Joke.
4: Auburn head coach Bruce Pearl joining
1: us. So that is. I don't know if that was from the Auburn radio call. Okay, so Chris Stewart with, the, with Learfield for Alabama and the Crimson Tide with the play-by-play. And then it sounds like that was Bruce Pearl on the Auburn Radio Network doing a post-game interview. So we're literally talking about minutes after. Uh, he goes through the handshake line, likely sees his team head to the locker room. And if it's like it was when I worked uh, for a basketball team, the Hartford women, the head coach would talk to a few people and then would head right across the court and would put on a headset and would talk to us before she ever went to the locker room. And so, again, let's hear that from Bruce Pearl. It seems calm, it seems calm, and then zero to 100 in the span of a nanosecond. You
4: know, obviously they made some, made some plays. We had a hard time staying in front of them at the end of the day. Um, I'm just sick and tired of our guys getting smashed down there smashed we're incredibly outmanned at the end at three four guys on the bench in foul trouble
1: joke and you can hear him throw the headphones down so Bruce Pearl in the wake of that overtime loss and three of his players fouling out um, he's he's hot as you can understand, it's a 16point run that brought Alabama back into this game. And again, congratulations to the Tide for winning the SEC championship in the regular season, but a, a painful loss for Bruce Pearl and one that he's not going to take laying down. Uh, so he's known for being very emotional. I don't blame him. This is just some it's some, it's some classic Bruce Pearl audio. We played
4: hard, it played well. You know, if, if that's the number one team in the country, you know, to come on the road, hostile environment. You know, but we need that one to get the NCAA, and we and we didn't get it. Dylan Cardwell's hurt; he's probably not going to play against um, Tennessee because of his injury. We need his physicality. He got he got fouled down there at the uh, uh, and, and at the end of the game. So, coach, just talk about what, what Saturday
1: represents now. Oh, just, we'll get ready to play Tennessee. He goes from being so angry that he's yelling, and, and well, maybe, and maybe it was the other way around. Maybe that second cut that we played was earlier in the interview because he's very emotional, almost sounds like he's teary. Now, it could just have been the... The heat, the you know, the emotion, the adrenaline, and and so he's he takes a big sniff there, uh, but it do, he's very emotional. And then before the interview is done, he loses his mind over the fouls. It's after hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. As for Alabama, all that the Tide want to do is focus on basketball, especially after what happened last week. Now, I'm not sure if you know this. Players are still not speaking to the media. That includes Brandon Miller in the wake of the revelations by the authorities in open court that he is the one who drove the gun to the site where former teammate Darius miles provided it to a friend of his who ended up shooting and killing a young woman. And this was on the strip in Tuscaloosa uh, going back a few weeks ago. Brandon Miller is still fully cleared and fully available. And as much as I would say the furor has died down nationally, There were a lot of people who were incensed, offended, at the very least were stunned to see what appeared to be a pat-down in the pregame ceremony by a teammate of Miller's when he was introduced. And Nados is still trying to explain what happened. He said he didn't know about it, but now he's taking responsibility.
4: That situation's on me. We addressed as a team, as soon as I brought it up to them, they immediately understood how it could be interpreted, and we all felt awful about it. They explained to me that it's like when TSA checks you before you get on a plane, and now Brandon's cleared for takeoff. We as the adults in the room should have been more sensitive to how it could have been interpreted, and I I dropped the ball. That's, That's it. I dropped the ball on it. We've addressed it. I can assure you it won't happen again.
1: So that is, once again, Coach Oates clarifying. It seems as though he's doing a lot of that lately and apologizing. And I know they're college kids. How in the world can you not see how that might be interpreted or how that might be construed? And maybe they have been doing it all year. That's what Coach indicated. But in the wake of everything that happened, if you're Brandon Miller, I if if I was Brandon Miller, I'm not Brandon. If I was Brandon Miller, I would – myself still feel guilty over my role in in this young woman losing her life because I'm the one that brought the gun to the scene. I'm the one that showed up. Whether or not I knew the gun was there and his attorney says Brandon had no idea the gun was in the car. The text message was sent to him while he was en route. I don't know many teenagers that don't check their text messages while they're driving. Either way, at some point, Brandon knew there was a gun in the car, and that's the one that was used to kill a 23-year-old mom. So if I'm Brandon, basketball maybe gives me a distraction, but I'm still racked with guilt and, and sadness over the role that I played in this woman's life. We've not heard from him. He's not been made available to the media for obvious reasons. Out there playing basketball— it's certainly a distraction. It's what he does well. But how on any planet does that type of a pat-down not look as though you're being frisked for a weapon? Tasteless at best and flat-out offensive at worst. And NATO said he didn't see it, had no idea that it was going on. But, yes, as the adults in the room, quote-unquote, that's definitely on him and his coaching staff to – to understand how that can be interpreted if the students and the players are not going to. The team is very good on the court. Number two in the country, probably a top seed in the upcoming NCAA tournament. But right now, it's hard to watch them play without thinking about the young woman or thinking about their former player who's now indicted on first-degree murder charges. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio.